Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. This will be the main text that we are considering this morning as we reflect upon the meaning of the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. And this, this passage comes within the same, uh, the same context, uh, the same chapter of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus teaches and gives his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Hear now the word of our God. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please look with me in your order of worship at the confessional reading element. This morning we are confessing together our Christian Catholic faith using the words of Lord's Day 50, which consists of question answer 125. As always, I will read the question if you please respond by reciting the answer. Question 125 asks, what does the fourth petition mean? Give us this day our daily bread means provide for all our physical needs so that we may recognize that you are the only source of everything good and that neither our care and work nor your gifts can do us any good without your blessing. Therefore, may we withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it in you alone. Let us pray and ask that the Lord would bless our consideration this morning. Merciful Father, we thank you that you have not remained hidden, but you have revealed yourself to us, not only through general, general revelation, but most supremely in your word. And we thank you that we can glean from the wisdom of, of those trustworthy sayings that have gone before us. And we pray that as we reflect upon the way in which our historic church has understood the fourth petition that you gave to your disciples. We pray that we would be convicted. We pray that we would be encouraged, comforted, and motivated as we reflect upon uh, who we are as your adopted children, the great privilege that we have to be able to bring before you our prayers and petitions, confident that we're heard because of Christ our Lord. We pray all these things, all these things in his name. Amen. Well, boys and girls, what are the, the three sections of our catechism? Uh, Annalise? And which one are we in right now? Gratitude. Very good. What is true faith, boys and girls? Violet? What's the content of faith? Annabelle? 
Apostles' Creed. What's the benefit of this, this true faith? Yes, Isaiah? Christ's righteousness. Um, Christ's righteousness. Uh, where does this faith come from? Where is this, how, how, do we, how is faith created in our hearts? Micah? Yes, the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts through the Bible, through the preaching of that Bible. And how does the Holy Spirit confirm or assure this faith? Annabelle? Through the sacraments. Very good. And the two keys of the kingdom, boys and girls. What are the two keys of the kingdom, Marcus? Good. Uh, what, what, how does the catechism define sanctification or the Christian life? What are the two parts of the Christian life? Uh, Isaiah? Very good. Putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Now, the gratitude section is composed of two, two, main, uh, two main parts, the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer. And so we have been reflecting the last couple weeks, uh, last few weeks, on what it means to pray and specifically what the Lord's Prayer means for us. The Lord's Prayer is given to us as a template to guide every prayer that we pray. And so now we come uh, to this fourth petition. But before we consider the fourth petition, uh, we would do well to, again, remember the structure of the Lord's Prayer. I've referenced the structure the last couple of weeks. But in the first three petitions, you'll notice that we say your three times. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. But now in the last three petitions, each one of these petitions uses the words our or us. And so the first three petitions focus on God's priorities. It, uh, they have a vertical dimension, while the last three petitions focus upon our real needs as we live in this world. And so these last three petitions have more of a horizontal dimension to them. Furthermore, uh, boys and girls, what are the two main sections of the Ten Commandments? What's the division of the Ten Commandments? Marcus? Yes, about God, loving God and loving neighbor. The first four commandments are how we are to love neighbor. And so the first four commandments have a more vertical uh, dimension. And then the the last six have to do with how we love our neighbor. And so they have a more horizontal dimension. This then is similar to how the Lord's Prayer is structured. The first three have to do with um, God and his priorities, while the last three have to do with us and our life in this world. So today we will be reflecting upon the fourth petition, the beginning of this second section of the Lord's Prayer, where we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, especially as those who live in the affluent West, I presume that we do not worry all that often about our literal daily bread. Rather, our concerns have to do uh, more with the changes in the stock market, our 401k, our, our, uh, the housing market, or even whether or not we'll get the... the the increase in our salary this year. And if, if, if we're honest with ourselves, we think about this petition as it's stated, praying for our literal daily bread may seem to be one of the least relevant things we could pray for. However, Jesus intended that this petition would be a petition not just for his actual disciples who lived in the first century, but is a petition that's normative and useful for all Christians, no matter what day and age, uh, no, matter, no matter when and where they live. And so I'd like us to think about both the meaning and relevance of this petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Why is it important that we understand this petition, that we pray uh, confidently uh, for the things required in this petition? Well, first, you'll notice that when we pray, 
give us this day our daily bread, we are praying that God would provide for all of our physical needs. This is what our catechism says, that we're praying that God would provide for all our physical needs. This, in short, is what we mean when we say, give us this day our daily bread. The catechism interprets bread, the bread of the fourth petition, as referring to all physical needs that we have in this age. Bread is a staple food in nearly every culture. And so bread then represents everything that we stand in need of in order to flourish in this life. And so when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're praying that God would provide for all of our physical needs. Now in Matthew chapter 6, the passage that we recently read, Jesus talks about how oftentimes in this age we grow anxious over temporal things. Food, drink, clothing, and we could even add to this list. We grow very anxious. We become very burdened over temporal needs. And Jesus reminds us that if God clothes the, the lilies of the field, the grass, if he cares for the sparrows, will he not also care for you, someone who is an image bearer of God? It's a lesser to the greater argument. And so Jesus is assuring us that God does promise to provide for all of our physical needs. In fact, Jesus, I mean Paul in Romans chapter 8 uses the very same logic that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 6 when he says in verse uh, 32 of chapter 8, He, that is to say, God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So Paul is saying that if God sent his son to die for you, will he not provide for you? If God sent his son to provide for you, I mean, to, to die for you, will he not provide for you? Last time I checked, God did not send his son to die for the grass and to die for the sparrows, but yet God provides for them and their physical needs. Now, if God went to the great lengths of sending his son to purchase us body and soul, will he not also provide what we stand in need of in this life so that we can do his will? And so God promises, promises to provide for all of our physical needs. Now, in the church, we oftentimes speak about how God cares for us spiritually, how God matures us and grows us spiritually. But sometimes we don't speak enough about how God promises to care for us physically. We don't oftentimes speak enough about how God promises to care for our bodies. But he does. God loves and cares for our bodies, just as he loves and cares for our souls. And he cares about our physical life in this created physical world. Now there's significance, or, and furthermore, when we think about all the things that God promises us in light of this petition, the greatest way in which God will answer this petition is in the final resurrection. The greatest physical need we have is a new body, a body that will not taste death. And God promises to provide that for us at the end of the age. Now, there is significance here when Jesus calls us to pray today for our daily bread. Some of us who, who tend to be anxious are, are anxious not necessarily about the present moment, but we're, we're anxious about the future. And Jesus' words here at the end of Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34 are very helpful for us as Jesus reminds us. He says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the, uh, for, the, for the day is its own trouble. 
Jesus is saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Focus on today. Focus on your daily bread. Pray for your daily bread. Now, of course, we are called to be prudential when it comes to the future, but we're not called to be anxious when it comes to the future. And one way in which we can tell um, that we have gone from being prudent to being anxious is if our ruminating, thinking, planning about the future begins to impede negatively upon our present lives and inhibits our love for neighbor in the moment, in the present. If that's going on, that's probably a pretty good indication that we're not, we're not merely being prudential about the future, we're being anxious about the future. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9, offers us some, some wise counsel for how we should pray for our daily bread. The sage in, in Proverbs 30 says, Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The sage in in Proverbs 30 reminds us that uh, we shouldn't necessarily pray for riches, lest we become boastful and arrogant, independent, and think that we no longer need God. Nor should we pray for poverty, lest we be tempted to steal and grumble and complain against God and his providence. Rather, we are to pray for what's needful. Or, to put it in the words of Jesus, we are to pray for our daily bread, daily provision. I love how the Westminster Shorter Catechism, as it was reflecting upon uh, this fourth petition, it says that we are to pray for a competent portion of the good things of this life. We are to pray for what's needful. I'd also like to reflect briefly on how this petition correlates with some of the other petitions here in the Lord's Prayer. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things... Right, these temporal things that we grow so anxious about in this life, of food, drink, and clothing, all these things will be added to you. This reflects the Lord's Prayer, the structure of the Lord's Prayer. We first pray, your kingdom come, and then we pray, give us this day our daily bread, which means that we are first to seek first, we are to, to seek first the kingdom of God. We are to focus upon God's priorities our sanctification, and then we have that assurance that God will grant us everything that we stand in need of in order to do his will in this life. Furthermore, the sixth petition, which we'll come to in a couple of weeks, uh, we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. One of the ways in which the Lord answers the sixth petition is through the fourth petition. If we're honest with ourselves, we, when... Uh, we're a lot more prone to give into temptation if we are lacking in sleep or if we're hungry. So the Lord just physically providing for us is one way in which he guards our, our feet from temptation. And so when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're praying that the Lord would care for our bodies. We're praying that the Lord would provide for all of our physical needs. And when we receive God's provision, we are to respond to that provision in a certain way. And question answer 125 then goes on to talk about what our response should be to the provisions of God, to the gifts of God. It tells us that we are to be both grateful and we also are to trust. So we are to grow in gratitude and trust as we receive the provisions and gifts of God. We are to grow in gratitude and trust 
as we receive the provisions and gifts of God. So the Catechism goes on and says, provide for all our physical needs so that we may recognize that you are the only source of everything good. So notice that the Lord promises to provide, but he also wants to be recognized as the provider of all good things. Which, to put it another way, he wants us to thank him for his provision, for the way in which he cares for us. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good and perfect gift comes from whom? From the Father of lights, who does not change, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the promise we have. And we are to recognize that. We are to give thanks to that same Father who is the author of every good and perfect gift that we experience. Now, there are two main ways in which God operates in this world. He, he can act, uh, sometimes he, he does this, and he can act miraculously upon this world, which means that he acts apart from means or apart from secondary causes. He just acts directly upon this world. And that's really the definition of a miracle. He suspends the laws of nature, and he, he acts upon his creation. Well, the second way in which God works in this world is through providence. And when God works providentially in this world, he employs the use of means and secondary causes. Now, sometimes we struggle to recognize God's gifts of providence as God's gifts, and not merely the work of other humans or of, of natural um, causes. Now, for instance, let me ask you this, this question. If you... Would you be tempted to acknowledge more of God's handiwork if you were healed of a disease with which uh, there's no human explanation than if you were healed from that same disease through the treatment of doctors? If your answer is yes, then you need to hear what James has to say, that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, whether that's a miracle or God's ordinary works of providence. Regardless, every good and perfect gift is from above that we are to recognize and give thanks to God for. We need, uh, there, there are not enough hours in the day to, 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 to list the ways in which God provides for us in his ordinary providence. But it's so easy for us to go through our days and not even thank him once for his provision. To take so many things for granted. And so the Lord wants us to be a people who grow in gratitude. Who, who, who are aware and perceptive to the many ways in which he ordinarily provides for us. And we thought about that even in, earlier this morning. Uh, God seeks to mask himself uh, through the vocations of others. And when God provides for you through other people, through other mechanisms, that's God providing for you, just as if he sent manna down from heaven. And thus we are to thank him for that provision. Well, notice that the catechism continues and says that we're not only to recognize God as the provider, but we also are to recognize that neither our care and work nor uh, your, let's say God's gifts, can do us any good without his blessing. So we're not only to thank God for his provision, but we are also to thank God for his blessing, which makes his gifts actually useful and effective in our lives. The catechism here is leaning pretty heavily upon a statement that Calvin uses in his Institutes. And this is what John Calvin says as he reflects upon the fourth petition in his Institutes of the Christian Religion. He says, Indeed, not even an abundance of bread would benefit us in the slightest, 
unless it were divinely turned into nourishment. Accordingly, this generosity of God is necessary no less for the rich than for the poor. For with full cellars and storehouses, men would faint with thirst and hunger unless they enjoyed their bread through his grace. This point is, is really uh, supported by the words of the psalmist in Psalm 127 when he says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For it's he, that is to say God, who gives uh, to his beloved sleep. Have you ever thought, about how apart from the Lord's blessing, food would not nourish you, water would not sustain you, your work would be completely ineffective and vain and toilsome. The only reason why God's gifts are, are at all helpful or useful to us is because God enjoins his blessing to them. And so we are to thank God not only for his gifts, but we're also to thank God for his blessing, which makes his gifts actually effective and fruitful for us in our lives. And so we are to grow in gratitude. Gratitude is we receive with open hands the Lord's provisions. Now, last of all, our catechism says that we are to withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it in God alone. So we are to receive God's gifts, and as we receive God's gifts, we are to grow in our trust of him. Uh, this is why it is important that we, we grow in the habit of remembering. Remembering not only God's promises in his word, but remembering God's past faithfulness to those same promises in our life. As we remember these things, our faith and trust grows in the present. And so we are to receive God's provision. We are to pray the fourth petition with a heart of trust. Trust that God is our sovereign and providential heavenly father. And what are these promises of God that we are to remember? Well, listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 55. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Or Psalm 37 verse 25, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Or think about the truths that we confess in our own catechism, which are summaries of, of, of much biblical teaching. Uh, question answer 26 which asks us what we mean when we confess in the Apostles' Creed that God, uh, God is our, our, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And it says that God has become our father for the sake of Christ and promises to turn whatever adversity he sends upon us in this veil of tears for our good because he's able to do this as our almighty God and willing also as our faithful father. Think about what we confess about the providence of God. The almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby as it were by his hand, he upholds heaven and earth and all creatures and so governs them that the world economy, weather patterns, even our own health, uh, these things do not come by chance, but only through his sovereign providential hand. These are the things that we confess. And these are the things that we are to remember as we pray this fourth petition, provide for all of our physical needs. And so as we experience God's provision in this life, as we experience the validity of these promises in our lives, we, uh, we are to grow in faith. Our trust in him is to be nourished and strengthened. 
There's an old medieval Latin phrase that says, that says ex oriendi lex credendi, which literally means the law of praying is the law of believing. There's a lot of wisdom behind this phrase. Basically, it's getting at this point that how you pray influences what you believe, and what you believe influences how you pray. So if you are praying to God as the sovereign creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth, as your providential heavenly father, then you will grow in your belief of him as such. If you believe and confess what we confess in our catechism, then you will begin to pray as if that's true. And so there's a very delicate balance between our praying and our believing. And we are to grow in both. And so let us, as the people of God, pray to our loving Heavenly Father, give us this day our daily bread. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples and us. We thank you that you care about our bodies. We thank you that you, you care about our lives, our physical lives in this veil of tears. And we pray uh, that you would provide for all of our physical needs. We know that you have not promised us an, an abundance, uh, but we know that you have promised us what we need to do your will for as long as you've ordained to put breath in our lungs. And so we pray that we would